Welcome to the Central Baptist Podcast. Today, Pastor Scott explores how the biblical narrative is the story that helps make sense of our stories. After listening, we'd appreciate it if you took a moment to rate and review the podcast. Your response helps others discover the life-giving truth of the gospel. Now, here's today's message. The scripture reading is Genesis 2, 1 to 3, 15 and 18, 3, 17 to 19, Mark 2, 27, 28, Hebrews 4, 9 and 10. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Genesis three seventeen to 19 And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Mark two twenty-seven to 28. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Hebrew 4, 9 to 10. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We're going to continue on in our series, the story that makes sense of our stories as we look at various deep questions that face us, our humanity, our existence, and then try to determine what story makes the best sense or try to present a variety of opinions. And today we're going to deal with this issue of of work. So let me start off by asking this question. What goes through your head when I, when I ask you the question, what do you do for a living? What do you think automatically? Where does our culture go? Where, where do I go? Where do you go? How do we answer that kind of question? And how should we think about that question? What are the issues related to that question? And from where do we gain our cues for our answer? Well, I'm, I'm fairly certain that most of us would automatically think about what? Our jobs, right? That's where we go. What do we do for a living? What is your work? What uh, gives you meaning? What gives you purpose? And most of the time, I would imagine that we think about our work. Or maybe in some cases, our lack of work. Our jobs. Our lack of jobs. 
One of the amazing effects, as I'm sure you've uh, noticed as, as well as I have, one of the amazing effects of this health pandemic relates to our attitudes about our jobs. I'm, I'm learning and we're all reading and discovering that certain sectors in the Canadian economy especially are suffering from mass resignations. One, um, one uh, uh, website informed me that Canadian companies right now are recruiting for 875,000 positions. And there's a tremendous turnover among employees. A recent um, Bank of Canada survey found the likelihood that workers will switch jobs in the coming year, the highest in many years. And it doesn't take long, right? We just do a quick internet search and we find things like this. Robbie Abed in Inc. Magazine claims that more workers than ever before are leaving their jobs and feeling incredibly confident that they'll find another one shortly after. More people are going into business for themselves and more people are simply just going to quit their jobs. People are kind of discovering this idea of that, that, that there exists the possibility for a work-life balance. More people are, are talking about side hustles, if you're familiar with that term, right? Adding some other income to a regular job. Websites are promoting things like 70 legit ways to make extra money and 11 best side hustle ideas to make an extra $1,000 a month. All, and it goes on and on and on, right? This sounds wonderful, right? It sounds great. But let me ask you this question. What is the purpose of work or having a job? The predominant Western, and by Western I just mean North American and Western European, all these, this kind of mindset, this worldview that we share in common, the predominant Western message is, seems to be, you are your work. You need a job, a side hustle, or passive income because that's how you get rich. Work as a revenue generator, and the more the better. The sooner you, you can retire, the younger you can retire, the better because then you can really enjoy life. This is the story of secularism. Secularism is basically a collection of interconnected ideologies that derive a life view without any recourse to God. And so we have things like scientific materialism that says reality is only explainable and thus understood through scientific theories and models because reality is composed of only physical material. Humanism. The human being is the measure of all things. The human being has the right and responsibility to give meaning and shape to their own lives. Or objectivism, the moral purpose uh, to life is an individual's own happiness derived from a rational res respect for the facts of reality. And an individual's happiness is always possible in this worldview. And then an another uh, part is libertarianism that strongly values individual freedom. This group looks at our work, looks at jobs as both an end and a means. As an end, the idea is that the better job we have, the better and more respectable person we are. As a means, the idea is that a better job is one that pays more money so that we can have better things, bigger houses, faster cars, and go on more expensive holidays, ultimately, so that if you do well enough, we can retire early and live a life of luxury and leisure. All you have to do is look through the most popular social media streams and topics, Beautiful people with beautiful things in beautiful places. That's the hope of secularism. 
But there's a dark side, right? Some of you know this all too well. What happens if you can't find a job that pays well? What happens if you have the nerve to grow old and cannot work anymore? What kind of person are you then? What sort of conclusion can you draw about your value and your purpose, about your usefulness, about your place in society? Do we really think that the best way to view those who are retired or those who have lower paying jobs is as less valuable people? Why does that bother some of us? Where does the desire to see value, purpose, and meaning in life of the individuals beyond what kind of job we have or, be kind of, or what kind of work we have, where does that come from? Well, it doesn't come from the secular story. It comes from, I know you'll be surprised, by the Judeo-Christian story. So let's do a little bit of review. I'm going to take you through a little bit of a, a kind of a grand sweep of scripture in terms of this, because there are a lot of issues at play when we try to, uh, try to come to terms with the, the Judeo-Christian story and how it relates to work and, and job. First of all, the foundation. We have to address the foundation. And we've been doing this, it seems like, regularly from week to week. The foundation is this. When God made humanity, when God created humanity, he made us, we are first and foremost image bearers of God. We see that right away in Genesis 1 verse 27. This is where it all begins for us. This is where our orientation, this is where our perspective, our purpose, this is where it originates. This is where it all begins, and this is what needs to be addressed. It is so very important that each of us deals with this, that each of us comes... Um, uh, each of us comes before this and answers this question because this is our only hope. Hope is not found in better time management and better government policy. Hope is derived when each of us bows our knee before our creator whose image we bear as the sovereign over all of creation, over all of reality and submit to him alone. The Bible explains that we do this not out of our effort or because we deserve it, but because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one who himself is truly God, demonstrated for us a deep and profound love of God by being born as a human, living and teaching, dying on a cross as a perfect sacrifice to pay the penalty for our rebellion from God. We'll talk about that in a moment rising again from the dead, breaking the power of death over us, and by ascending in body to the right hand of God, presenting perfected humanity and mediating a perfect relationship between God and his beloved creation. There is an invitation for each of us to heed. It is not automatically applied. There is a response that we must make. And that's where hope begins. That's where our perspective, that's where value, that's where meaning, not what we do, but who we are and who we were, we were made to be by our beloved creator. So it is within this context, when we recognize that our value is there first and foremost, then we can begin to talk about these other things like work. And as we read, as we read, as, as Heather read for us, the original commission that God gave his special creation, humanity, you and us, you and me, 
is, uh, is work, right? First of all, God demonstrated it. We read this in, in the Genesis 2 passage. It talks about, it references it a couple times. You know, God rested after the work that he had done. And after the work he had done, and then we, we read earlier in Genesis that all the work that God had done, and it was, refers to it as work, God declared everything that he had done to be very good. Here is a God that is at work, here is a God that is, that is doing things, that is productive. Work is simply expending the effort towards producing a benefit. God confirms what we all have experienced in one way or another. There's just something good about working and in, and in accomplishing something. There's an affirmation that's associated with expending effort and being productive. And here, right at the very beginning of our story, we have God demonstrating it and confirming the goodness of this experience. As Dr. Drew Johnson puts it, I, I, I like his language here. Uh, in this, in this on-the-ground and local story of creation, we find God getting his hands dirty. He plants and tends a garden, forms the dirtling, I like that, the dirtling from the dirt, and then puts him to work. Work is built into this, to this original interaction between God and his special creation. This creation out of creation. Dr. Johnson raises uh, our next point. It's not just that God worked and expressed appreciation for the results of his work. But then he specifically commissioned his image bearers, humanity, you and I, to work as well. God directed work. We see this in, in Genesis chapter 2 all throughout, right? Genesis chapter 2, 15. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden. What? To enjoy a life of, of leisure and luxury? No, he says to till it and keep it. And then God said a few verses later, ah, something's off here. We need something more. And so it's not, that, it's not good that man should do this alone. I'm going to make a helper for him. So God not only directed humanity to take care of creation, but he, but he did it in the context of community. He provided a special and unique partnership between a man and a woman as a social precedent for the fulfilling of that work. Both were to have a part to play, and that template would spread from that arrangement to family, and then from that to community at large, to the larger culture. God directs us to work together to fulfill his purposes. But then as we read, just a, par a portion of it, humanity, we rebelled. We haven't touched on this very much in this, in this series yet, but this is what happened. Humanity said to God, hey, God, thanks for all this great stuff. This is awesome. You're great. But I don't like your rules. I don't like the way you're doing things, so we're going to take it from here. We're going to go our own way. We're going to do our own thing. We're going to make decisions for ourselves. You can just head back up into heaven and just leave us, leave us be. That was the great rebellion. The problem is that the rules, that God's requirements, that his request for obedience is part and parcel with his created order. It's not an add-on. It's not a special feature. It's not an option. It's built right into the template of creation. 
The instructions provided by God was just as crucial to the created order as every, any other aspect, as the birds, the water, the trees, etc. Part of God's purpose for creation, including humanity, was for everything to work together in perfect relationship. Our breaking of that relationship to God, us telling God, no, we'll do it ourselves, turning our back on him, disrupted the original peaceful and intimate relationship between the creator and his creation. And there were consequences. There are consequences. The most important one for our topic today of work is related to our original commission. The result of our disobedience, the result of our rebellion, the result of our sin is that work became laborious. It no longer brought immediate joy, original joy that was built into the created order. And so we read these words from Genesis 3. Cursed is the ground because of you, and toil you shall eat all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. This is the precedent now. Now it's not just, it doesn't just apply to, you know, gardening or farming. It's not just limited in that way. Our production at whatever we do will become, has become difficult, has become laborious. We will interact with people now who are difficult. We will find ourselves frustrated. We will face injustices in our lives, all because of this rebellion, this sin, this disobedience. We will feel useless, helpless, and hopeless, all because we can't do what we want to do, because we're frustrated. And that because we took a step away from God and his perfect purposes for all creation. But from that point on, God began his recreation plans. He established a people, as we read through scripture, he established a people and, a, and promised that through this people, creation would once again be in, a, in a perfect peace one day. Ultimately, it was through the ministry, passion, death, resurrection, and exaltation of Christ that fulfilled that promise. The promise to recreate and reestablish God's perfect order within creation. Through Christ, God invites each of us to reconcile with our creator, to, to ultimately enter his perfect peace. And that too is a process. And we have insight into how, how to prepare for the culmination of God's recreative works. So let's just take a quick step or two through the rest of the story. Through uh, God's recreated, or, or that now we are recreated for good works. Now because of Christ, because of this demonstration, because of, of this action, we have a new commission. We have a new purpose and meaning. A new foundation and a template for life. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 puts it this way, for we are humanity, we are what he has made us, right? Reference again to the original, the original commission, we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus, what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. And just a few uh, verses before this, Ephesians clarifies that the work we are now doing does not result in let me make this clear. The work does not result in new creation, but it originates from out of it. 
God does the work to begin this recreation through Christ in our life as we submit to him, surrender to him, like we heard in the testimonies today. But, and now what happens through that is that it generates then our good works that God has prepared for each of us who follow Christ, no matter our status, no matter our stage, no matter our age, no matter where we are. This is all for us, God has, has told us. Now that we are new creations, new creatures, we are able to do the work that God's prepared us. So what is that work? Well, just let me summarize quickly two parts. First of all, we read in Philippians 2, one of the aspects is working out our salvation. Therefore, my beloved, this is the same idea that is, is, is shared in Ephesians chapter 2, right? This, this work that generates, originates from this new birth, this rebirth, becoming new in Christ, generates then this working out our salvation, as Paul writes to the Philippian church, just as you've always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work within you, enabling you to will and to work for his good pleasure. The responses that we make, the value that we have, the purpose that we, that we share in life originates because God's spirit is at work in us. And as we, as we respond to him, and as we submit to him, this work becomes clear and clear in our relationships. It doesn't matter who you are, what your job is or isn't, or even if you have a job, you and I can work out or nurture or develop this relationship with our loving creator through obedience to Christ. It means spending whatever energy and time we have communicating with and listening to God's Holy Spirit. It means as much as we are able to spend time reading and meditating or thinking through the Bible, God's revelation to us. It means as much as you can to speak with other followers of Jesus on the phone or through email or in coffee shops or at homes or at church, encouraging each other, building each other up. As long as you are drawing breath, as long as you and I are here and present and alive at this point, no matter what stage we are at, we can work out our salvation in these ways because that's the work that God is now doing. We learn in Philippians chapter previous to this that God promises that, that he, God who started the work in you, will carry it on the completion all the way through your life. This is part of the work. The second part is this. Laboring for the Lord or working for the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 puts it this way. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast and movable, always excelling at the work of the Lord, because you know that, the Lord, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is what God has given us. He's gifted us. He's put us in a community that we call the church to grow and to develop, to encourage each other as long as we have ability and energy and health to be able to encourage each other. We can do that. To be able to send each other words of encouragement. It doesn't have to be all the time. You don't have to be at the church all the time. It can be as God leads us through the stages of our life with whatever energy that we have. Every single person here is valuable, again, not because what they contribute, right? Remember, we're valuable. We have purpose. We have meaning because we are made in God's image. And it doesn't matter your stage of life, your age, what kind of job you have. We are gifted. God has gifted us through the Spirit to do good works. As I mentioned above, one of the messages of secularism is that the goal of work is not to work. Right? 
to make sure that we have a good retirement plan. In some ways, the Judeo-Christian story shares some of that perspective. Rest is important. This is why, this is why I titled this message, Work Plus. Because as important work, as work is in, in the Judeo-Christian story, right in Genesis, right from the very, very beginning, rest is also important. Right from the beginning, that same passage, Genesis 2, those first three verses, God is working, but in, he's also declaring that work to be good. But he's also, he's also resting. God is again setting a precedent for, for us. Work these six days and then rest. And then the cycle begins again. Work the six days and rest. And it's emphasized again and again. It's stated twice in this passage, God rested. Rest matters to God. It matters so much, that brings us to the second point, is that God blessed and hallowed the seventh day. That's really unique wording. It's very rare. Uh, God's blessing and God's hallowing or making holy is not usually uh, applied to inanimate things or even animate things. So it's, it's kind of paradoxical here that the day of rest is blessed. Inactivity is not usually seen as promoting fruitfulness and success, and yet this is what God is blessing. The first thing in Scripture, in fact, to be called holy is this day of rest what is referred to often in, in Scripture as a Sabbath, a day of rest. That is the biblical cycle. But in, there's two more quick pieces just to add to this. So what's the purpose of rest? So let's be clear about this, right? Heather read for us from Mark chapter 2. The Sabbath, the, the day of rest, this rest period that we have was made for humankind, not humankind for this period of rest. So the Son of Man, Jesus himself, is Lord even of the Sabbath. Right, so, this, so Sunday is often thought of in our, in our culture as maybe a day of rest. Uh, but I don't know if you, you, you know this, but pastors tend to work on Sundays. And so that kind of throws our planning and our scheduling sort of off kilter a little bit. Unless we heed to what Jesus said. The Sabbath, the day of rest, our resting period is made for humankind. So we can change the day. I know that seems crazy, but we can do that. Not because, you know, we just want to, but because Christ gives us the authority to. So the, the purpose of rest is for our present benefit. But, and here's our retirement plan. The purpose of rest ultimately is for our eternal benefit. This is what we see in Hebrews chapter 4. So then a Sabbath, this, this ultimate period of rest, notice the words, still remains for the people of God. For those who enter God's rest also cease from their labors as God did for, for him. Ultimately, you and I know, and sometimes we even refer to that period, that, that uh, being deceased, as we enter into the rest God's rest. Now we can rest. And this is, this is the, the biblical teaching on this. For now, while we have energy, whatever that energy, whatever amount that is, while we have life, whatever that amount is, we can use to grow and develop our relationship with God to encourage each other as much as possible. So let me just pull this all together. And I'll do this, as I do this, I'll invite uh, our, our music team to come back up on stage to prepare to lead us in our, our closing song. So what does the Judeo-Christian story say about work? There's four things. Our primary work is as God's image bearers, or as God's image bearers, 
is to bring glory to him. Our work primarily, essentially, is our life. How we expend the resources that we have. How we use, whether it's, uh, uh, no matter what kind of job we have, that fits into our stewardship of our life. Number three, the work, our work is not our job, but it does include our job. And then finally, rest is an essential component. So let me conclude with a challenge for everyone. Our value comes from God's creative purpose, not in the kind of job you do or we do or don't have. God's purpose is that we lovingly care for God's creation, our home, and the people we find sharing that home. As Christ emphasized it, also must include the nurturing of our relationship with our creator. So here's where we'll conclude. How can you and I so arrange our life so that we are using the resources of our life as we have them to work out our salvation and labor for the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your teaching, for your scripture, for your word that helps us to gain a measure of perspective on life. Even in, in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of challenges that we're facing, whether personally or geopolitically. Father, help us to gain perspective. Help us to recognize the value that each of us share. No matter how we may feel or how, what our culture, what our secular society may say otherwise. Father, we, let us listen carefully to you and your word, to you and your voice, reminding us that we are valuable, we, are, we, we have purpose, we have meaning, our lives matter because they matter to you. And, and they matter to you so much that you imbued us with your image so that like you have cared for your creation, like you have recreated us, we can declare this message of recreation or reconciliation to those around us through our words and through our actions and through the, the um, expense of our resources, whatever they are. Father, I pray that each of us would recognize the value that, that we have, no matter how we may feel. Again, no matter what others may say or what we think others might think about us. But God, God help us to listen to you. Father, I, I pray that you would help us to be good stewards with the resources we have, that we would work for your glory, that we would rest. And Father, I thank you that we ultimately have the hope that, that one day, when Jesus comes again, we will be resting with you as you are resting. In Jesus' name, amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe wherever you get your podcast. To experience other talks, videos, and gatherings, visit us at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Podcast.